We're going through the book of Judges. We only have uh, one more week left after this weekend, and then we're going to move into the book of Ruth. We have uh, going to finish up Samson today, and then after we finish up Samson, we'll move on into uh, just close the book of Judges through another story that's uh, kind of getting closer to the end of the book. So as we're looking at Samson, we're um, looking at the entire story, and uh, we've been working off of principles in the entire story, looking at it from God's perspective, looking at it from our perspective, and and today we're going to pull Jesus Christ um, into the equation in regards to our perspective. And I just want to break this sermon up into two different areas. We're looking at the whole story. That would be the fall of Samson. And then as you look at the fall of Samson, how can we prevent ourselves from falling uh, like Samson? One thing the Bible does not do, it does not um, water down anybody's sin. It does not try to hide anybody's sin. In fact, you look to the Old Testament, Abraham was a man of faith, but what? He, he carried a lot of sin. And the Bible doesn't try to hide that sin at all. It does, just gives a revelation of the sin. You know, David, you got David and Goliath, but then you have David and Bathsheba. It doesn't hide the sin. People are completely betrayed on who they are and what they've done. So if you look at these people that had sin, and Samson had lots of sin that took place, they're there so we can observe them and observe what they did so we can prevent ourselves from falling into the same trap that they fell into. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Samson fell into a trap. And as he is in that trap, we don't want to fall into that same trap. And you'll see in the sermon that today, in our life, in the 21st century, we have more power today than Samson even had back then. So we have no excuse to fall into the same traps that Samson fell into. So what are the three traps that he fell into? And then we'll look at those same three traps of, to make sure that we don't fall into the same. Uh, fall of Samson. Samson was a conqueror who couldn't conquer himself. How does a worm get into the apple? You know that a worm does not bore itself through the skin to get into the apple? It's, the worm actually has an insect that lays its egg onto an apple blossom. And as the apple starts to grow, the whole apple grows, and then that egg inside of it hatches. Then after it hatches, you have the worm that's inside the apple that eats its way from the inside, from the inside out. The same way with sin. When you start looking at sin, our nature is a sin, so therefore we've got this seed of sin because it's in our nature. And what does it do? It works from the inside out for the purpose of ruining us. Sin doesn't just come place take place with our actions, it is actually moving on the inside, taking place in our mind, taking place in our emotions, taking place in our heart, and there's a fueling and a fire that goes from within, and all of a sudden our actions follow that fueling and fire that takes from within. So when you look at these sins that Samson struggled with, lust, passions, desires, obsessions, selfish ambitions, jealousy, narcissism, and greed, when you look at that, where is that coming from? It's coming from the inside and is then coming out. So what Samson did is that he wasn't going to conquer it. And by refusing not to conquer his lust, the lust all of a sudden starts to own him, starts to rule him, starts to drive him, and starts to send him. He had passions and obsessions, and he didn't try to fight his passions and obsessions. I mean, this is the strongest guy in the world. And when we look at him as the strongest guy in the world, he is being weak. Why is he being weak? As a result of letting his inside do whatever it wants to do. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can knows it? I mean, if that heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, that stuff is going to take over. And even if you had strength, it will take your strength away. 
Judges 14, 1 through 3 says this, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young woman Philistine. He returned. He said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all the peoples? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. You can just see the attitude that is in Samson. Where does that attitude come from? From an uncontrolled emotions that are inside. Coming from, well, I want to do whatever I want to do. I have a lust, I have a passion, I have a, a greed. And if you just let it just run loose, what happens? You speak to your parents the way Samson speaks to his parents. You look at women the way Samson looks at women because that's what's driving him is his lust. We see that that's not, uh, that was a whole lifestyle of Samson because we see it in Judges 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a prostitute there and went into her. Just going into a, a prostitute. I mean, it takes... I mean, it takes time. It takes, it takes lust. It takes your mind moving out of control. It takes, it takes freedom in your emotions that I can think about whatever I want. I can look at whatever I want. I can, I can be whoever I want. I can desire whatever I want. It moves us towards falling off a cliff where woman in Gaza just took her. Judges 14 or 16, 4. That's just a couple verses down. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Again, scholars believe. Another prostitute. You see him, his actions being portrayed of what's going on inside and his emotions. As he turns his lust loose, he turns his passions loose, he turns his desires loose, obsessions loose, and he doesn't even try to control his inside. And as a result, we see him fall. Number two, Samson was a strong man that didn't know he was weak. We are people who often don't um, see ourselves, and, uh, and we see ourselves usually by um, what we accomplish or what we do, and we often think that we are strong. It's the same way Samson did. He had massive amount of strength, and he saw himself as a, as a strong man because he didn't see himself in, in, in any other way. I lived in uh, Gold Beach, born and raised in Gold Beach, and I grew up on Kerber Drive, and we had a, um, um, an older lady named Margaret Kerber. The drive was named after her. Um, on our street, and uh, we used to always walk to her house at least once every day, and the reason why is because she would buy the newspaper, read it in the morning, and then my mom would send one of us three boys to go pick up the newspaper, and then we would walk it back to our house, and then she'd read, my mom would read it in the afternoon. So we went to her house often, and and, uh, and we were kind of, um, um, as she watched us be raised, and as she, you know, watched us, you know, grow up as little kids, uh, we were kind of the one that took care of her, the one that loved her, the one that celebrated her birthdays. And one in particular time, my mom made a, a birthday cake, just a little birthday cake, and, and she gave it to me. She says, Michael, why don't you uh, take this birthday cake to Mrs. Kerber? And I said, sure, I'll take it. So I don't know how old I was. I don't know, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten, fifteen. I'm not exactly sure. But um, I got this cake, and I started walking to Mrs. Kerber, and and um, and. Probably nobody in this room could do this, but I'm actually really good at it. I could take my finger and scoop into the frosting of that cake and lick it off and then put it back together so you can't even see that I did it. <laughs> really, really good. And, and sure enough, I, I remember doing that with that cake, and, and it was um, the trip wasn't as short as it could. I kind of slowed down in the process as I consistently did that. But don't worry, I fixed it before I gave it to her. 
I gave it to her, and, and uh, um, my mom tells me this story now. She said that, you know, Margaret Kerber called me um, after you did that and said, I don't want you to spank Michael or anything like that. He, I don't even want you to discipline him, but you probably need to know that if you're going to send a cake, um, don't send it with him anymore because, because as soon as I got it, all the frosting was gone. It was just this mix of saliva and frosting that took place, and we handed it to her. I thought I was doing a really good job, and that's the way we are. We think we're doing a really good job, but there's weaknesses that want to reign in your life. There's weaknesses that want to take over. There's weaknesses in you that want to rule everything about you. What kind of weaknesses? There's weaknesses right here. Pride, lack of self-control, anger. These are weaknesses that carry more strength than Samson's strength. Bitterness, lack of good sense, independent, uncontrollable temper. So here's Samson right here in a nutshell. All these, but yet he was the strongest man in the world. How weak are these things? Proverbs gives us, tells us how weak we are. You know, Samson didn't have the book of Proverbs. We actually have the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs just says, let me tell you that pride is weak. Pride goes before destruction and humility comes before honor. Pride comes before destruction. If you have pride, destruction will take place. I know that um, prideful pastors can't accomplish anything. And I have a prayer journal. And in my prayer journal, um, there's prayers. God, please take the pride out of me that wants to destroy your name. And they're progressive prayers that, that says, God, ruin everything about me that tries to exalt myself. Uh, just last service, some of you guys probably know, but I was preaching the sermon. And I was getting close to the, I was getting in the good part. And as soon as I got in the good part, my head went through a complete rush and I passed out right here on the floor. Just last service. And after I got picked up and I stood up and I came up to the pulpit, I mean, my only comment I could give is like, I got to stop praying those prayers. <laughs> God, destroy the pride in me that destroys your name. I mean, they're prayers that, God, if, are coming out that if you're asking for him, he wants you to get rid of him for a purpose. Why? Because if you have pride, it will bring destruction in every single area of your life. So God is <laughs> consistent. I have a thorn in my flesh, and it sounds like my thorn in my flesh is I could drop any time, including right now, and you guys don't even know it. But in Paul's weakness, he says, in my weakness, in my humility, then, then God gives the strength. Read the passage of pride. Read the concepts of pride. Read the motivation that Satan had with pride. And it will ruin you if you have it. Destroy you if you have it. It's a weakness that took Samson's strength to absolutely nothing. Pulled all these out of the Proverbs. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. What does that mean? It means that if you have self-control, everything you owned is just going to get ripped off. You own a relationship with your wife. If you don't have self-control, you will lose your relationship with your wife. If you own a relationship with your kids, if you don't have self-control, you'll lose your relationship with your kids. If money is coming into you and it's a great check, if you do not have self-control, then you will lose the money that comes into you and you will go bankrupt before you can possibly imagine you see the book of Proverbs, how it completely comes alive to say, have self-control if you don't want to go bankrupt. 
And you will go bankrupt if you do not have self-control. Samson did not have self-control and he went bankrupt. If you have a hot temper, you exalt fully. Better is a man who controls his temper than one who can take a city. We think that the strength in us is if we can take a power to be a CEO or a power to run a company, a power to own a business. But it's like you have no power. You have no strength. You can't even stand on your own two feet if... If you have anger, because it takes over. It owns you. It's a weakness that literally takes possession of you, as we see that it took complete possession of Samson. We see the last moments of Samson where he lost his strength. Where was he at? He was in the lap of a prostitute that wanted to find out his strength. Therefore, she was bribing him, coercing him, trying to get him to tell the strength. What is your strength, Samson? What is your strength? And out of foolishness, what did he do? He just said, this is my strength. Take my hair away. If you take my hair away, then I will lose, lose my strength. By even saying that, with the Nazarite vows that he took, he said, take my God away. I don't want to look like a Christian anymore, is what he's saying. We see it in Judges 16, having... Put him to sleep on her lap. This is Delilah. She called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him to the town of Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding in the prison. Strongest man in the world. Lost everything. <laughs> he lost everything because the insides were not under control. He was a conqueror that could not be conquered. He was strong that did not know that he was weak. And as a result, he lost it all. Number three, Samson was a deliverer who couldn't deliver himself. Emotionally addicted, sensually addicted. He was physically addicted, psychologically addicted. He was was, uh, substance addicted, assuming, with the alcohol that was consumed um, in the story of Samson. We can ask why. Why was he so bound? Why was he so controlled? Why was he so, so set on all those things that he just took and gratified himself with? And this is why. Because Samson was on his own mission, his own purpose. He was on his own will, his own focus, his own desire, and his own timing. That was the inside that was driving him. He had his life not mapped out. And as a result of it not having it mapped out, he just gravitated to, well, if I'm not going to map my life out, then I'm going to be on this mission that's mine. I'm going to be on this purpose that is mine. I'm going to be on this focus that is mine. I'm going to be on these desires that are mine, and his insides literally just, just took over. Why? He just wants to relax and just live. As a result of just living, all these situations and circumstances started to take place in his life. And as a result of that, you can see his aim. You can see his passion. All the way through the book of Samson, or the story of Samson, the three chapters of Samson, you see him only pray to God twice. Only pray to him twice. I want to look at the two times that he prayed to God. And I want you to see how he speaks to him the first time he prayed to God. And I want you to see how he spoke to God the second time he prayed to him. Judges 15, finding a fresh donkey of a uh, donkey. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. He grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. 
Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. The place was called Ramath Lehay. Because he was thirst, very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. Here's the prayer. You've given me your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the Philistines, uh, in the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place of Lehay, and water came out of it. God's speaking to the Lord. The Lord's not his mission. The Lord's not his drive. It's not his passion. It's not, it's not there at all. Yeah, you've given me a victory. Great. Thanks for the victory. Now you're going to make me die? What's your problem, God? You see a lack of disrespect. You see a lack of, 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 of statement because his mission was, was, was his. His mission was mine. Of course, we know that God was using him to accomplish his mission as well. But watch the interaction he has with God. He's on his own mission. But not in Judges 16. Judges 16. Remember, he lost his hair. After losing his hair, he ended up losing his eyes and ended up going to prison. Here's the next prayer that he prayed after that took place. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple of the rulers and all the peoples in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he was alive. Look at the prayer in verse 28. Oh, sovereign Lord, what does that mean? It means, God, you're in control. It means that, God, you carry the power, not me. You're in control, not me. You carry the power, not me. You carry the strength, not me. You carry the will, not me. You carry the, the purpose, not me. You carry the drive, not me. You carry the passion, not me. That's what he means when he says sovereign Lord. You see a complete different change when he had his eyes. In a sense of, what's, what's the deal, God? I conquered all these people. Aren't you going to... Let me just die out here. You know, take care of me. But here we see, oh, sovereign Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, I am not the powerful one you are. He was doing some reflection. He didn't have his eyes when he was in prison. And then he makes a statement, remember me. Remember me. It's not all about me. Strength didn't come from me. All came from God. There's a recognition that's taken place in Samson's life that I was a fool with what God gave me. He's the one that did it all, and I was a fool in the way that I treated it because I just let my insides just run loose and made a destructive, even mess. Now, O oh, sovereign Lord, please remember me. O oh, God, please strengthen me just one last time. It's the end of the story of Samson, and as a result of the judges, it's the end of the story of the judges as well, and as a result, we're going to see a downhill spiral take place with God's people and God's nation, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. But don't worry, we're getting to Ruth, and things will be really, really good after that. But we do want to look at this story, and we want to take the challenges to heart. We want to take the challenges to heart of, of where Samson failed, because if he failed in this direction, maybe we can do something that is different, <laughs> in a sense that we don't fail the way that he did. One of the greatest blessings I have as a pastor is I'm going behind somebody who uh, has been in ministry for 40 years. And Pastor D, who is very, very humble, he says, let me just tell you all my mistakes so you can learn from them. 
don't do them. I've already done it. I think I've made every mistake in the book. So let me tell them so you can prevent yourself from doing them. That's kind of a relationship we function. This is the same way with the story. Look at Samson's mistakes. That's okay. He's got mistakes. God still accomplished what he wanted to accomplish, no matter what, because God always does. But let's learn from them. I want to be a, somebody that can deliver myself. I want to be somebody who, who knows that I'm weak. How do we do it? Number four, know you're weak by knowing Christ. Again, that matches up on number one. Know you're weak by knowing Christ. We must know we are weak. We must know that we are weak. Why should we know that we are weak? The reason why is because when you know that you're weak, that is the first step to salvation. The first step to salvation. God, I am a sinner. (laughs) That's a statement that you are just now walking into salvation. God, I am in need of a savior. That's a statement. I can't, I can't do it on my own. That weakness is the first thing to salvation. You died, you rose, you are the answer. The first steps of salvation. We need to know that we are weak so we could literally be saved. Because what salvation is, is that I am weak, but he is strong. And my salvation doesn't come from me anyway. It comes from who? It comes from him. Therefore, my response has to be at his feet. Go to his feet. Many of us take salvation, and as soon as we, we take salvation, we're like, oh, good, I checked that one off my list, and now I get to go to heaven. I got some fire insurance, and now I can do whatever I want, and doing whatever you want means that you're getting more powerful in your mind, more strong, more strong, more strong, more strong. Don't just take salvation. Know that you're weak even in life. How do you know that you're weak? Let me tell you the formula that God has, has put together inside of our nature, inside of us as human beings to, of how we should live and how we should exist. To just give you the base of it, I'll just mention um, that I did a sermon in uh, Ephesians and I talked about marriage. In one of the sermons I talked about marriage, I said, getting married does not put you in conflict with your spouse. Getting married puts you in conflict with yourself. What happens? When you get married, there's conflict. <laughs> unless, unless, I think there's conflict in every relationship. Yes, there's conflict in every relationship. The reason why is because when you get close to somebody, your self rises. And, and you do one of two things when your self rises. Number one is that you evaluate yourself when you rise, and then you try to change. Or you just blame the next person and find out that, boy, I really married a messed up person. When actually... God did not use make marriage to make us happy. He used marriage to make us holy, that you are supposed to rise when you get close to somebody. I mean, we all know that it works. I mean, before I was married, I was almost perfect, just right near perfect. I mean, and you, you know it, you know it too. Then I got married and I just had this revelation that's like, I'm not perfect at all. In fact, I'm a mess. I used to be patient. Then I got married. I was no longer. I was no longer patient. I don't know what happened. I mean, I could say that it was my wife, but no. All of a sudden, I get close to somebody. I start to rise. You know, I used to be kind, but all of a sudden, I'm like I'm not always kind. I used to not be controlling, and I just took care of things, not controlled things. But all of a sudden, I get married, and I find out I'm a controlling person. I used to be really organized. I married somebody that wasn't that well, was really organized, and then as a result of that, all of a sudden, I'm I'm not organized. Now, see, the goal is, is that I can do an evaluation. As I rise, 
I can work towards changing it. Rather than throwing a stone at her, I can actually work towards changing it. It's the way life works. You get close to a person, what happens? You get to see yourself because you arise. Same thing works. The closer you get to God, the more sin you see in your life. People hate God. Why do they hate God? Because when you get close to God, you see sin. I mean, your sin actually rises. They say that the closer you get to God, the more sin you will see in your life. And what does it do? Completely devastates you. What do you mean it devastates you? We see it in the Old Testament. We see Isaiah when he went into the temple and Shekinah glory is there. And what did Isaiah do? He hit the ground, cried out, woe is me, I'm ruined. Live among people of unclean lips, and I have, I'm a person with unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. He was completely, entirely shattered. Why? Because he saw himself until he got redemption is when he started to speak. One of the angels took a white hot coal from the altar and brought it to his lips and put the coal on his lips. And he is purified. And what did he say? He said, God, here I am. Send me. As a man with unclean lips, I live among people with unclean lips. And after I am purified, here I am. Send me. This is the way that God works. And this is why so much of the world cannot stand God. Because you get to God, all of a sudden you see yourself. You don't like yourself, so you start running from God. But that's not the the system. Because we don't worship a God that hates us. We worship a God that loves us. We worship a God that has given us so much grace that we cannot even comprehend. And we, even as we accept Christ and move on through life, we don't want to get close to God because then we we see ourselves. It's like, whoa. But think of the grace. Are you passionate about the grace? This is how it works. The more sin you see in your life, the more grace you see that has been given to you. The more sin you see in your life, the more grace that you see has been given to you. And the more grace you've seen that has been given to you, the more love you're going to have to the Father. The more love you're going to have to the Son. And the more love you're going to have, the more happy you're going to be. <laughs> It's just, it's just a system that sin shatters us until our eyes are opened up to the mercy of God. And when our eyes are opened up to the mercy of God, we see that grace, and then we walk away completely excited and in love and full of joy because we need to understand that we're weak. Because when we are weak, then he is strong. I mean, if we're the ones working our way to salvation, which so many people believe that we could work our way to salvation— we're working to salvation. We can be all right because we'll do an evaluation on everybody else. So we pull back into that comfort zone. Don't pull back to that comfort zone. Move right to God and let him crush you so you can see the amazing grace that he has to offer you. Do you think this ruins you as a person? No, this builds you as a person. This drives you as a person. This sends you as a person. This makes you as a person. We are called to go to the cross. And when you do, you're going you're gonna to see your sin there. You just will. But what's going to take place when you see your sin? You will see the grace. You will feel the love. And you'll have the joy as a result of putting yourself right at the bottom of the cross. The cross kills pride. 
just kills it. I mean, how, how can you have pride? You know, pride is a great, great weakness. How are you going to get rid of pride? Just go to the bottom of the cross. I'll just kill it. It'll just kill it. He died for me. I should be there, and he's there in my stead. It will just kill it. It kills independence. If you go to the foot of the cross, it carries the power to kill independence. Because when you see that, it's like, I am a lost person dependent on that Savior who died for me. It will kill unforgiveness. We are people that say, you know, somebody, my neighbor did this or somebody else did this, and, and I'm not going to forgive them, and we'll hold it for unforgiveness away from them, and we will not forgive them. But you go to the, to the cross, you can't do that anymore. And the reason why is because I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once dead, but now I'm alive. I've once doomed to damnation, but now I've been given this amazing grace. I have to give it to somebody else. I have to give it to somebody else. It kills victimhood. It kills sin. Nothing cuts a sinner too quick, more quick than the fact that he has sinned against the great amount of mercy. If you're sitting right at the bottom of the cross, you see a, a great amount of mercy. And if you want to fight your sin, sit at the bottom of the cross. That's where we fight it. That's where it carries the power of the cross. It's not something that Jesus just gave us. We accept we go to heaven and we die. No, it's something that we think about, meditate, pray upon. Something we get down to the bottom of consistently because the world wants to pull us apart. But hey, the more you know Christ, the more you know your state without him. Samson needed to know his state without God. He thought he was, had everything. You know, I carry all the power. You know, God anoints, the Holy Spirit anoints me and I get all this power. But I'm not going to take that power and work within. I'm going to take it and just use it from without. Not even fight the battles with it. I'll break all the Nazarite laws. I'll refuse to listen to God. I'll refuse to listen to my parents. I'll, I'll um, take hook up with any woman that I want to hook up with. I want to be free on the inside. I want to be free. It's not fatal to be a sinner. It's actually fatal to deny that you are a sinner. Samson should have seen is, I have power, I have strength, but I am dependent because I am a sinner. And I've got to fight the thing within. And I have to have this relationship with God so it will be removed. So many of us go, I don't want to go to the bottom of the cross because I'll be called a sinner. No, that's where you get to know God more, and that's where you find redemption. Once a soul is convinced of sin and the hell that follows, then the Savior all of a sudden looks precious to him if god looked precious to samson his lifestyle would have been different i think god would have would accomplish so much more through the most strongest man that has ever walked on this planet number five conquer yourself by filling yourself up with christ there's a question out there is how do you conquer sin you know i have an addiction i want to get rid of the addiction how do i get rid of that addiction um, I, I, I am addicted to pornography. How do I get addic- uh, rid of the addiction to pornography? I have an anger problem. How do I get rid of the anger problem? I, I lie. How do I get rid of the lying? I cheat. How do I get rid of cheating? I have sexual sins. How do I get rid of the sexual sins? So there's two ways to get rid of these sins. There's two ways to try to put those sins at bay. And one is defense and one is offense. And the one that's defense is an Old Testament, um, say custom, we'll put it that way. Um, it's defense, and the reason why it's called defense is because every piece of law that takes place in the Old Testament says, thou shalt not. 
That's just what it is. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not have any graven image. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet. No, 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 no. What happens if somebody tells you no when you're a child? That's when the burning desire happens to do it. I mean, at least my kids, where I tell them no, they're like, oh, I have to do it now because I've been told no. You know, we think we grow out of it until you see a, a, a speed limit that says 65 miles an hour. Thou shalt not go over 65 miles an hour. What does that mean? That means go 72, you know, because you can go just over it to make sure that you can get there in time. It doesn't mean just go 65. No, I'm confessing all my sins up here. But when you get the, you should not do, it fuels sin according to Romans. Fuels sin according to Romans. It's a defensive model. Thou shalt not. Doesn't affect him. Not affect What's an offensive model? It's a New Testament model, a new covenant model. And what is it? Thou shalt. That's what it is. Thou shalt. It doesn't say thou shalt not. It says thou shalt love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Thou shalt love others rather than yourself. It's a, it's a, it's a go method. And with the go method behind the cross and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit filling you, you are going to make yourself completely hot if you're on the go. I've got to fill up. I've got to do, i got to do, i got to do, i got to do, rather than not. So what am I saying? Say there's an addiction with pornography. If you have an addiction with pornography, don't say, I will not look at pornography. Instead say, I shout, I will look at God and make my cup overflow. I will be in his word every single day. I will look at my wife and understand the jewel that she is. I will look at my children and see the destruction that takes place if I choose to keep it in my life. I will look at the joy that I have without it and the destruction I have with it. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You're moving to an offensive form to conquer the things that are taking place in your life. Same way with a cup. You fill yourself up. To make God your portion. And when you fill yourself up to make God your portion, you can get the taste of his love. You can get the taste of his beauty, the taste of his grace, the taste of his joy. All the way through the New Testament. Go into all the world. That's offensive. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel to all creation. Make disciples. Offensive. Love like you've been loved. Serve like you've been served. Forgive like you've been forgiven. Give like you've been given to. Sacrifice because you've been sacrificed for. Everything is offense. We have this absolute jewel that should be hot inside of us, filling us up to the point that garbage doesn't have any other area or corner of our lives. Well, you have the concept, pray, give, worship, evangelize, set goals. What you do is you, you fill yourself up so the things don't come in. Better A, fill yourself by worship, prayer, Bible reading, church, obeying. God, this is the thing that's going to drive me. This is the thing that's going to own my emotions. This is the thing that's going that's to take the fire that's going to be within rather than the things that want to come from the outside. Number six, deliver yourself by, focus, by being focused on Christ. Who are the two strongest men in the world? I think Samson falls in the category of one, and the other one is, is Jesus Christ. I think he was the strongest in the world. The largest difference between Samson and Jesus was this one word, four letters, named meek. 
Meekness is a word. What does the word meekness mean? Meekness means power under control. Power under control. Samson had power, but there was no control. Jesus had power, but it was completely controlled. We see that when the, those who came to, um, when uh, Judas came with the soldiers to come to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He takes out his sword and he cuts off the person's ear. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We're not fighting here. Don't you know that I could send legions of angels and I can wipe everybody out? (laughs) I I, I completely have it covered. All I have to do is snap my thumb and boom, it's all taken care of. But he, he didn't do it. Power, he has completely powered under control. Why? Because his focus was focused in an area of, God, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. You tell me where to go and I will go. You tell me how to live and I will live. And as a result of having that focus, he is able to focus on that rather than the emotions that are driving within. Meekness is what carried him. Meekness carries more power than, than any temper could ever carry. Meekness carries more power than, than any anger carries whatsoever. Meekness will silence the noise, it will control the force, it will moderate the impetus, and it will correct and undo all the disorderly transports. It just takes care of everything because meekness literally sets the tone to the entire home, to the entire school, to the entire nation, to the entire country. It's going to be all right because we are focused and my determining my decisions are not determined by emotions that are within, but they're determined by my emotions of where we're going and what I am anchored to, which is, in Christ's case, his father carried powerful meekness. He knew what was taking place, and he knew where he was going. Letter A, his life is your life. His righteousness, your righteousness. His will, your will. His mind, your mind. His heaven, uh, heavenly his heaven, your home. His love, your love. To start meekness, you already you set the pace. The pace is my life, is Christ's life. His righteousness is my righteousness. I know where I'm going. This is what carries the power. The power to change the world that is around you. Carries the power not to react. Carries the power not to, to, um, uh, to react or consume or, or do anything, but stay focused. Before I went into ministry, I told God no for many good reasons. You know, one was security reasons because, you know, I was working for the state of Oregon and I had comfort in my job. Another one was relational reasons. You know, I was raising my kids and I didn't want my kids to be raised, you know, um, by being pastor's kids. I just didn't want that. So I had all the reasons that I gave to God. And and the other one was for anxious reasons like, you know, God, I I can do much better um, working with my hands than working with my mind. I'd rather just not, rather not do that. And, uh, and then some of you were for financial reasons. God, I'm comfortable right here with my job, and if I go into ministry, you know, there's going to be financial cuts that are going to take place. The only reason that I'm in ministry today is because of one, I think, prayer that took place. I will never forget the time that I was having with God. And there's a light that turned on during this prayer. And this light said to me, God has my best interest in mind. God has my best interest in mind. Here I am trying to control every aspect of my life, but God has my best interest in mind. And it's that time, it's like, God, his life, your life is going to be my life. Your righteousness is going to be my righteousness. Your will is going to be my will. 
I'll never forget, that's when I kind of just gave things away. You have my best interest in mind, and all the way through my life, he's, he's proven that he's had my best interest in mind. Even through trials and troubles that take place, still, he has my best interest in mind. Number seven, a person wrapped up in themselves is a very small package. A person wrapped up in Christ changed the world. Satan only wants one thing for you. He wants you to be wrapped up within yourself. And the reason why is because you would be completely ineffective if you are. He wants me to be completely wrapped up inside myself. And the reason why I would be completely ineffective if I am. The story of Samson is a man that carries so much power and carries so much strength who is wrapped up in himself. And what a small package that was as we read the word. We only see him in three chapters when he had the power to change so much. And he could have changed so much. But it comes in a small package when he got wrapped up in himself. And it's a small package for us when we get wrapped up in ourselves. We want to look at God and say, your will, my will. Your righteousness, my righteousness. Your heaven, my home. Your love, my love. I want to go to the foot of the cross and I want to see myself. We want to see our weaknesses so we can see his strength. Let's pray. God, we just ask you to empower us in this way. Power us to be a, a broken people at the foot of your cross because it is in our weakness, God, that the world would see your strength. It is in our weakness, God, that the world will see your strength. We live in a world, God, that um, many people do not see you as a result of the pride, as a result of the selfish ambitions, as a result of the glory, God, that we are actually looking for as people. God, it does nothing but shadow your name. It does nothing but shadow your glory. It does nothing but shadow your strength. And God, I just pray that you will destroy the pride in us that destroys your name. We don't want to get in the way of what you're doing, God. We want you to go hot, fast, strong, Therefore, God, I just pray that our ambitions are towards you and that cup is full in all of our lives, God, as we walk through this earth, knowing that you can accomplish so much, God, if we allow it to be that way. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.